0: Dear Prudence, dear
1: Prudence,
0: dear Prudence, dear Prudence, dear, Prudence. dear, Prudence. dear do you think that I should contact him again? Help! Help! Thanks. Thanks! Thanks! Thank you.
1: Welcome back to the Dear Prudence Show once again, and as always, I am your host, Mallory Ortberg, also known as Dear Prudence. I've got two guests in the studio with me today, and I'm very excited to introduce them to you. But first, I want to thank you, the people, the listeners, the readers, the letter writers. Uh, I feel like for the last six months, I have been alternately begging and cajoling people who have previously written in with their problems to send in updates because I'm a very nosy person and I want to know what you did and I want to know if you took my advice or didn't and if your life has subsequently been ruined uh, or if you're still, you know, getting by. And I, this last week, got three different updates from three different letter writers, which was very thrilling, especially because one of the updates was from the bidet couple. Now, (sighs) If you've listened to that episode, you don't need me to refresh your memory because it was the most memorable question that is possible for a person to have. But um, the couple in question, the woman wrote in to me and said her boyfriend had recently gotten a bidet and as a result had said, no more toilet paper. Who needs it? Not even for guests. And she said, you know, I don't always use the bidet and sometimes the bidet is not sufficient for my needs. So I'd sure like to have some form of toilet paper in the house. And this guy was just like... Here's a hand towel, I guess, but like with no game plan, just like take this towel, do what you need to do. So she was like, how do I convince him that he needs to keep toilet paper in the house? And I was horrified beyond all measure. And I, I, I went on at great length about how he should have toilet paper in the home. Um, and he better be an amazing partner in all other respects. Um, and she wrote back and said they listened to the episode together. That he was thoroughly chastened, and that he went out and subsequently bought quote a metric fuck ton of toilet paper, um which I'm very grateful for. I don't think it should have come to this I, I i I wish that it had not taken hearing me say, "My man, why are you handing the woman you love a piss towel and no game plan um but that said, you know, sometimes we always need like takes a little time to to turn around as the song goes like. Sometimes you just need help seeing the light. So I'm so grateful that the update to that letter was not, yeah, he listened, but he still feels really strongly that he shouldn't ever have to go to Costco or whatever. Um, And it just really makes me glad to think that future guests to this guy's home will not be like shown to the bathroom and left to their own devices. So thank you for the updates. All the other updates were great, too. That was just the one that I'm going to treasure forever. And now I'd like to welcome our guests, now that they've gotten to hear me talk at length about this. Uh, My guests today are Allie St. James and Olivia Porzia. Allie is a student, a puzzle designer, and a very tired giant nerd who lives in the East Bay with their partner, Olivia, and their two cats. Olivia is a game writer, narratives designer, and recovering scientist. Guys, hi, hello, welcome. Hey. Hey, it's great to be here. Um, Thank you for listening to me talk about the bidet guy. I'm so glad that there was an update to that one. I'm Definitely, a, I'm going to like think about him every day for the rest of my life.
2: Yeah, that's, I feel like I'll be that's able, right.
1: I'll be able to sleep better at night now that I have like some closure there. He's a part of who I am. So uh, I have a question about what being a recovering scientist entails. Does this mean like you used to work in a professional capacity as a scientist? Yes, and I did. I I actually or does it mean like on you wake campus. up in the morning and you have a hard time like not picking up a beaker? Both. <laughs> also, okay. that, like, mostly the former. Oh, I've got to titrate something or I'm going to freak out. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. But no, I actually used to work um, here oh, are Recording. Awesome. Very yeah. cool. And I, I don't know, are you like a poet now? Like, are you fully recovered to the other side? Or uh,
2: yes. I actually, I spend a lot of time writing science fiction. So I actually, yesterday, spent most of the day like writing, looking up like scientific solutions to problems. So it comes in handy now and then. So
1: your recovery is like, it's full of real It's full of ups
2: and downs. Yeah.
1: Oh, man. Well, guys, I'm so excited to have you in the studio. It was, it's always really fun to get like two people on the show at once, because then we can really get a
0: fight going. Yeah, Uh-oh. we don't fight. Of course you don't. <laughs> of course you don't. We we actually hashed through all of our answers yesterday when you sent the questions to us, so that we would be prepared and we can present like a united front. Oh my god, well, that's amazing. Maybe there'll be surprises. No, this
1: is great because now I can look for cracks <laughs> in your unity and try to exploit them and develop a rift between the two of you, just for the episode, not oh, okay, like great. in life. Um. At any rate, yeah, I'm going to try to tear down this unity. That's my goal today. All right. So the first letter uh, is about parents spending money on me, uh, is the subject line, and I'm going to go ahead and read it first. Dear Prudence, I'm 24 and about to move to a new city for grad school. My parents are generously offering to buy me new furniture for my unfurnished room. However, they are inconsistent about whether or not this is a financial burden for them, and the whole thing is really stressing me out. I have no idea if this offer is depriving them or if it's something that they can easily do. And I find that my mother especially is being very controlling about choosing the purchases. Is there a possible outcome where I get the things I want without seeming ungrateful or too demanding? Gotta love financial gifts with strings attached. There is no
0: possible way to get the thing that you are wanting without any strings attached.
1: Yeah, yeah. I think they have made it pretty clear, especially if they're going back and forth between like, we'd love to get you a dresser. We may not
0: be able to eat for the rest of the month. But as long as you have something to write on, darling, that's all I care about. And it has to be this specific dresser kind of sounds like it might be part of the deal, too. Like, it sounds like the mom really wants to pick what the furniture is, which nobody gets to pick what their furniture is in their early 20s. But that's because we all bought it off of Craigslist for whatever was cheapest.
1: Yeah. So it sounds like you guys are maybe thinking the best solution is just say thanks but no
0: thanks and get a bunch of secondhand furniture off the Internet. I mean, 100 percent. The cheapest way to solve this problem is with your own money.
2: I think, I think that's the, the clearest way to actually getting the furniture that you want. Um, obviously, that may not be financially viable, but uh, yeah, it sounds like the parents are giving kind of mixed messages about whether or not this is, in fact, a financial burden for them. And I, I feel like it will be simpler to, to find furniture on your own if possible.
1: Yep. No, I, and I'm always very much of the mindset that if someone is offering you a gift and they seem at all uncertain about it, like – Err on the side of not taking it, exactly. right? Yeah. And they don't say in the letter that they absolutely couldn't afford any of it. And I would say, like, you're going to grad school. Embrace the grad school thing. Get, like, one or two secondhand IKEA things. Maybe you'll sleep on a futon for a little while. Um, maybe some friends will – like, there will be other grad students who are getting rid of their old crappy furniture. Yeah. Like, I, I think that any time someone is, like – I want to give this to you, but I also want to choose it, and also this may
0: ruin me. It just sounds... It's best avoided. That's not a good situation to put yourself in, because then you're going to have this hanging over you for, like, the rest of your 20s, at least, about how, oh, I mean... We really wanted to get everybody Christmas presents this year, but uh, we, we, we got you bought you all that, that furniture. We bought that furniture. That giant Fabergé just, egg
1: that you sleep in. <laughs>
2: yeah, and then you'll just have this Fabergé <laughs> egg sleep of, in a of Fabergé guilt Gilt. Gilt in, in your grad school bedroom.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I, I would say, and this sounds like a little tricky because your parents are already pulling such a guilt trip. If you say, you know what, thanks, but I've actually already got this covered, their response is probably not going to be like, oh, great, well, thank you, that's so considerate. Their response is going to be something along the lines of, I can't believe you don't appreciate this. Why won't you let us do this for you? And you should just be prepared for that. Um, we just want to help. Yeah. yeah. And you can just say, like, I appreciate that so much. I'm actually good. I found some stuff that I'm going to use. Yeah. And yeah. just go with the absolute cheapest stuff that you can, because this is one of those things that seems really generous, but is, in fact,
0: just an ordeal. Yeah. I appreciate that you started with something that was really easy to solve, because the answer is very clear. Yeah. I, honestly,
1: I'd rather continue to have an unfurnished room for, like, six months Yeah, uh, than deal with like, my mom calling me and saying, like, well, I, I really wanted to go to the doctor this month, but I spent all that money, like, <laughs> yeah. on
0: your sofa. So that
1: you could sleep at night. Get a,
0: get a sleeping bag on clearance at, like, REI or something. It'll be really warm. You'll be fine. Yeah. Basically, anything short of stealing other people's furniture.
1: Oh, but, like, look out for bed bugs, you know, if you're doing yeah, yeah, If you're picking
0: up furniture off, like, the street
2: that people are leaving outside their apartments, check that for.
1: Definitely. And maybe, like, don't pick that unless it's like all wood or something. cabinets even yeah. then yeah. i think yeah. you're supposed to check it for bed bugs i don't know i'm really afraid of bed bugs i feel like the biggest year for bed bugs was like 2012 and ever since then it seems to have calmed down like i feel like i see fewer articles about how to worry about bed bugs but they might always have another big year yes. yeah they could always come back yes they could awesome all right well uh would one of you care to read this next letter sure awesome sure
2: all right the subject of this one is i abandoned my daughter Dear Prudence, when I was 17, I drank too much at a party, and my family friend Glenn offered to drive me home. Although I don't remember it, I came on to him, and we had sex. When I found out I was pregnant, our conservative parents forced me to marry him. I could never overcome the feeling that Glenn violated me, and I was miserable being married to him. As unfair as I know it was, I never bonded with my daughter. When I was 21, I ran away. I don't have a a relationship with Glenn or our daughter. I'm now remarried and expecting a child with my husband. My daughter, now 17, has reached out to me via email several times. She's understandably hurt and has questions. I don't know what to do or tell her. The truth seems cruel. I don't know how or if I should explain that she's going to be a sister, since I don't feel like she and this baby will be siblings. Am I heartless? What do I owe my daughter?
1: I'm really sorry, by the way, that I went from furniture to this, because there's just... It is a, a big, big drop room. off. Yeah. Um,
2: yeah. Uh, this is... I just I have so much sympathy for this letter writer that for yeah. for the letter writer and the daughter like this is just this is really rough
1: right and I think what I really want to um, I, mean, I think the letter writer always already seems fairly aware of the fact that she was violated yeah um, but like even the fact that she says when I was twenty one I ran away yeah like suggests that the situation she was in was not like I left like. We parted ways. like Right. Yeah. Like you were, uh, you know, I mean, you're aware that Glenn violated you, but you say, like, although I don't remember it,
0: I came on to him and we had sex. like Right. Like, that sounds like an abuser's tactic to make this be your fault.
1: I mean, here's the deal. When somebody offers to drive you home because you're too drunk to drive, what they're saying is, I'm not too drunk to drive. You're in a position where I know you can't make good decisions for yourself. Trust me to help you. right? If and he you took were, advantage of that. Yeah, if you are driving somebody home, who can't drive, and you then have sex with them.
0: Um, They were not in a position to consent, no matter what, this was some kind of sexual assault. And, like, it sounds like maybe you're not ready to deal with that or you haven't dealt with that, and that's that's okay. You don't have to deal with it right now, but, like— Pretty much everybody in that situation, except for you, was terrible to you.
1: Right, your parents. It says your your parents forced you to marry him. Right, Um, and you have clearly been told a version of the story where you came on to him, so therefore it was okay for him to have sex with you. But like again, he knew that you weren't okay to drive. Right, exactly. You don't remember it, which suggests you were more than just a little tipsy. Um, I, I think you know one of the things that sober people have a responsibility for is if somebody like blackout drunk comes onto you that's not just blanket permission that's like okay you're not in your right mind you're not you're not present mentally here like so to just really drive home the point that like you were raped by someone you thought you could trust and then your family forced you to marry him at 17 yeah
2: and she also doesn't mention whether you know, she ever thought about, for instance, an abortion when this happened, but given the parents' response to the whole situation, I imagine that that was not an option that was made available to her.
1: Absolutely, yeah. Even if it's one she Even if she would have made the same choice, it's like she didn't choose to have sex with him, she didn't choose necessarily whether or not she wanted to carry the child to term, and then she didn't choose whether she wanted to get married. So, like, you were running away from a series of profound violations.
0: Right. And, like, I do—I feel bad for your daughter because none of that's her fault either but I, I think that your actions are fundamentally understandable. And if you can find it in yourself to look at your daughter and realize that she is the same age that this happened to you. And therefore probably adult enough to be able to have a relationship with you that's not necessarily like parental. Um, if you can like kind of find your way to not being friends with her, but at least being able to be, like, polite acquaintances with her and give her some of the answers that she's looking for. Like, that would be nice, but you're not obligated.
1: Yeah, and I, I, I'm i actually going to take a slightly different tactic because the letter writer talks about, uh, I never bonded with my daughter and, and says, I think that's unfair. And I really don't. Like, yeah. you yeah. were in a hostage situation. Exactly. Like, so- this is – it's – Reasonable. Yeah. Your your position is reasonable. And it, and again, like I'm totally with you in the sense that none of this is your daughter's fault. And of course, like she's had her own like pain, painful life experience based on her growing up situation. But I would say um it's not heartless or unfair that you didn't bond with a child that you nope. didn't seek to have. And to really ask yourself, am I capable right now of having any contact with her? And if the answer is just no, if the answer of, like, emailing her back and not being honest about how you came to be pregnant sounds unbearable, but also the idea of having that honest conversation with a 17-year-old seems unbearable, you, you know, please feel free not to respond. Definitely, like, yeah, definitely. That's sad for her, of course, but it's also, like, you you have to take care of yourself. And it's right. like in some ways maybe – you're starting to be aware of how messed up the situation was, but you're not yet able to say, like, I was raped and traumatized and forced into a marriage and I couldn't parent this child right?" because I didn't choose to. I didn't want to. I wasn't asked. So I would say for you, letter writer... Ask yourself, am I capable of sending that email right now? And if the answer is no, that doesn't make you heartless. It doesn't make you unfair. It does not make you a bad person at all. Yep. Yeah. And and I think so that needs to be your question, not do I feel guilty about my daughter, not what do I think that I owe her. Um, just what am I capable of? And like, you know, as always, put in a plug for therapy. Definitely. specifically of Any kind of therapy that focuses on identifying trauma and processing trauma, because you've been through a lot, especially now that like the birth of your next child is coming up. Oftentimes that can like put us mentally or emotionally back in a place of.
2: Yeah. And uh, the, the letter also mentioned specifically about this, you know, new trauma that she has if she's obligated in some way to tell the daughter about that. And, and I think. De- definitely not. That it, that no. is contingent on on what level of contact you feel comfortable having with her. Mm-hmm. And if you decide to have some level of, of communication with her, then that's up to you to decide. But but you are not obligated to to have any particular like level of closeness there.
1: Right. Yeah. And yeah. Absolutely. You you know you are not obligated to meld these two families together. You are not obligated to uh, put the, these people in touch with each other. And I think to just bear in mind, like if you ever do have contact with your daughter, even if it's just to say, like, uh, I wasn't able to be a parent to you because I was raped as a teenager and then forced into marriage. That's a lot to say to somebody, especially yeah. a teenager. So to have a therapist that you can work through that with and to plan if you do ever want to talk to her and if you do ever want to be honest about why you weren't able to parent her, I think it would be really helpful to you to have a professional who could help you figure out what's, like, the least damaging way to say this.
0: Yeah, there's no there's no way to say that to the daughter that's going to be not damaging because right. it's a terrible thing that happened to you and the kind of entire reason she exists is terrible and you don't have to take on that emotional labor right now.
1: Yeah, and I, I would just say, like too, like I would say, like the the situation of her conception was terrible. I wouldn't say yes. like the reason that she exists. I know that's not what you're saying. I just yes. want to make sure yes, that's really clear. But yes, yeah, so like potentially any conversation you have with this girl is going to be huge and intense. You don't have to have it right now. You frankly don't have to have it ever um but if you ever do want to uh, i think it would be really good to spend a lot of time with a therapist first because you shouldn't have to go through that without any assistance like you shouldn't have to do that by yourself you did a lot by yourself in the beginning and uh, you deserve help but yeah take your time check in with yourself if you don't feel capable of it you are not doing anything wrong um and I'm really sorry. Yeah,
2: yeah okay. I, I wish I wish the letter writer and both of the the children, like in this scenario, all the best. And I hope yeah. that whatever her her new life with this new child is is a much happier one. Yes. yes. Yeah. And,
1: like congratulations on, on being on, about and to like I'm like, getting out
2: of that
0: situation. Yeah. That and you like were hopefully into. finding
1: somebody that is like good to be married to and yeah. and, and having a
0: child that you want. <laughs> like that's wonderful. Congratulations! I'm so excited for you. That sounds like it might be potentially like a little bit healing in and of itself. I hope so. Yeah.
1: All right, so uh, we're, we're, we're ratcheting back down. I really should have put this in the middle of those two. Um,
0: but yeah, Ali, okay. if you would take this one away for us. Okay, the subject line is, am I crazy? Dear Prudence, my boyfriend texts his ex-wife a lot and talks on the phone to her at least once a week. We live three hours away from his hometown where she and his family lives. They were married briefly in their 20s with no children. We are all in our 40s now. She is close to his parents and helps them out by driving them to the grocery store or takes them to doctor's appointments. She helps out with his nieces and nephews, too. My boyfriend has explained to me that he is only friends with his ex, that her widowed mother is friends with his, and he loves me and wants to marry me. He lets me see their texts, and is it is all mundane. Took your father to the doctor, can you fix my bathroom sink, your nephew has, has a basketball game on Saturday, and so on. I've met her a few times, and she seems nice. She's even invited me out to a girl's day spa. I want to claw her eyes out, and I hate myself for it. I feel like I'm stuck in the middle of middle school again. I am jealous and sulky, and it's hurting my relationship. I don't know how to change it. My boyfriend lets me read his texts and emails and tells me he loves me all the time. But after a single phone call from her to remind him about the family barbecue, I turn into the worst version of myself. I don't know what to do. Am I crazy? Self-sabotaging? My boyfriend is amazing, and I adore him, and I trust him completely, except for her. I don't know why.
1: So normally, when people ask me, like, am I being completely unreasonable, completely irrational, the answer is usually like, no, you're being really hard on yourself. And in this case, I think the answer is, yeah, you are being really self-sabotaging and unreasonable. um, And good on you for noticing it. Yeah. Uh,
2: I think the the boyfriend is... is Seems pretty clearly like on the up and up here. Yeah, he seems like he's been honestly very, very understanding about yeah. all
0: of the kind of uh, anxiety and, and, and feelings he have been having. Right, about he's this. letting
1: her read his texts and, and emails, emails, which is a choice. Yes. yes, and
0: it seems like he's doing it without any kind of like delay or subterfuge about it. He's just like, yeah, here, absolutely, which is definitely the move of somebody on the up and up. Right, and yeah. it, well, so they were married in their twenties. They had no kids and they've been friends ever since, sometimes people realize that they are dating somebody that they would be better off friends with uh, or married to somebody that they would better off be friends with. And, like, it sounds like maybe that's what happened.
1: Right. Yeah. I mean, at this point, this woman is more of, like, a part of the family than an ex-wife. Like, she does not occupy ex-territory. It's been 15, 20 years since they were married to each other. And ever since then, they have, like taken one another's parents to the grocery store. Like, there's no wild, intense connection going on. Like, this isn't new. He presumably came into the relationship with you, with this woman, in his life. So I guess sort of the question is, like, uh, did you – did it not bother you before? Uh, Is it only starting to bother you as you two get closer to marriage? Like, is it bringing up thoughts about, like, your own – I, I don't know, because this doesn't seem like a surprise. This isn't like right. a friend you yeah. meet at work who all of a sudden is around all the I time. Mean,
2: maybe if, if they're, like, cohabitating now and they weren't before, maybe she's, just like, more aware of his communications yeah. uh, with her now than she was before. But, um, yeah, like, th- this woman is clearly an important part of his life and his family members' lives, and that's not going to change so um i feel like another plug for therapy here really.
1: yeah oh, yeah absolutely yeah. and and the goal should be like you should say to whatever therapist you choose is i need help dealing with my irrational jealousy and the like bad behaviors that it produces within me of like being jealous and sulking
2: you have a very
0: clear-cut goal here yeah, yeah I-, I think sure.
1: another thing you should do is stop reading your boyfriend's texts and emails
0: it's clearly not helping it's not helping I think it probably does make the letter writer feel better, but only for a very short amount of time. And so it's one of those kind of reassurance seeking things where you feel bad. So you go and look for the thing that you think is going to make you feel better. And it makes you feel better for like a couple of minutes and then you feel bad again. And so you want to keep doing it over and over. But that's It's not helping.
1: Yeah, and and whatever the reason for, you know, you say you love him and you trust him completely except for her and you don't know why. I don't know why either. Like, you're going to need to figure that out with a therapist because uh, it's not rooted in his behavior. I I don't know if it, like, if you're afraid, like, she knows him in a way I never could. Yeah, or has
2: this relationship with his family that
1: perhaps she feels is... is right I'll never, her be, having her own yeah, I'll never be yeah i'll never be a part them. of your family the way she is and like you can talk about that honestly with your boyfriend like whatever the underlying fears and insecurities are you know name them openly and honestly but um i, I think it's you should uh, you you ought to say to your boyfriend like hey this has been really hard for me i'm aware that this is my thing like this is not having anything to do with you it's not wrong to be close to an ex and like You've been super above board. I want to deal with this because I don't want this to get in the way of our relationship. I want to stop reading your texts and emails because I know that you're trustworthy. I know that you're doing the right thing. And I don't think it's actually helpful to me to track and monitor all the details of what you guys say to each other. So, like, I want to commit to not asking. And I want you to know you don't need to show me those things because, again, I trust you. Um, Yeah. And, like... It's pretty reasonable. I don't think you should ask her or him to, like, not hang out with her. She's a part of his
0: life. Frankly, it's a testament to what a good person he is, that he can be this close with his ex. Yeah, Absolutely. Um, And also, if she wants to take you up for a spot A, you should totally let her do that.
1: I Um, mean, give yourself a little time. Let her spend money on you. (laughs) Yeah, and I could kind of see that going either way, right? I could see it being, like, going really well, and then at the end of the day feeling even worse, because it's like, oh, God, and she's this amazing person, and and I'm even worse. So, like, give yourself a little time, but, yes, work up to it. Like, give yourself a month to, like, really work through that jealousy. Like, write about your jealousy in, like, a jealousy journal. Talk to your therapist a lot. Figure it out. And, like, yeah, spend an afternoon with her. And just make it your goal to fake it till you make it. Like, not to be like, oh, my God, you're my best friend. Call me every five minutes. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but, um, you know, like amazing. to say to like ask her what's going on in her life, like, how's she doing? How's her widowed mother? She dating anyone? Like, how was the baseball game? And to just like tell yourself when your like psycho animal brain starts saying like, she's trying to take our mate. Just be like, she is not a threat. Calm down. Retract your... You're killing weapons or whatever. I didn't want to say claws because I was like, I don't want to say catty because yeah. I don't want to get too into like mm, fair women on women crime. But yeah, like retract the bayonets or whatever.
0: If you're able to kind of reclassify her in your brain as like his cousin that yeah. he's close to, and their families he, are really close. That he
1: admittedly used to fuck.
0: <laughs> don't maybe don't think about it that way, but like, you know, his this, cousin this clo- that he's close with, friend. and like their families are super close, and they are just, like, BFFs, and it's fine.
1: Yeah, but I also just want to say, like, I think, letter writer, as bananas as you feel right now, it's going to be okay, and part of the reason I think that is because in your letter, you don't say anything like, how do I get him to stop talking to her? Right. How do I get him to cut her out of his life? How do I get him to hide her from me? Right, right, right.
0: Your question was, how do I make myself feel better? And I think that that is fundamentally bodes well for you. Yeah, yeah good you're, instinct. You're clearly aware that this is a,
1: a you
2: problem that you need to work on, and you're correct there, and I, I feel like that, that is an achievable thing for you.
0: Yep,
1: I think so. you're you're going to get there, and yeah. you get to be honest. Awesome. All right, so the subject line of this next letter is not grieving. Uh, and it's kind of the opposite in the sense that I very much look forward to telling this person, you seem great. Yeah, like, same. You're doing fine. <laughs> yeah. Uh, this is going to be a short answer, I right think. Okay. So, dear Prudence, my husband recently died in a car accident And all I can feel is relief. The last five months of our marriage were hell. He was having unprotected sex with strangers and taking thousands of dollars out of our savings account without a word to me. I found out after he died that he was planning on taking a second mortgage out on our house. He would lie to me, scream at me, and slam doors when I confronted him with the truth. We had a whirlwind romance and got married after knowing each other for six months. I moved across the country for him. My parents didn't approve and actually refused to come to my wedding, saying they couldn't, quote, condone my mistake. We'd recently started speaking again, but I still haven't breathed a word about the truth of my marriage to anyone. My family, my friends, and my in laws all believe we were happy and very much in love. I don't know if I loved him or hated him. I'm just so glad that he's gone. He's dead and I'm free, and I don't know what kind of person that makes me. The money from his life insurance policies means that I can pay back everything he took and still come out ahead. I find myself counting down the days until all the details of his death are done, so I can leave even while I do everything a grieving widow should. Does this make me a bad person? I feel sorry for his parents and siblings, and I didn't want him dead. I just wanted him gone, and now he is, and I don't have to go through a divorce or crawl back home with my tail between my legs. I feel like I'm floating through all this. I am more worried about how I should feel than how I am feeling. Is there something broken in me? Let's all say it together. No!
0: no! <laughs> you're fine. This are not a bad fine. person. I, you're a not a bad person at all. You sound like you're a person who maybe was being abused, and now you're free. Yeah, and you are
1: not Barbara Stanwyck in yeah, Double Indemnity.
0: Like, it sounds like you, I mean, you you say explicitly, like, you didn't want him dead, and you're just glad to be free. And I think that that's fair. Yeah,
1: and, and, and I also want to be really clear, you may continue to have really complicated
0: feelings. Yeah, like, the grief might come to you at some point, and it will be weird. Yeah. Yeah. And you may go through
1: different parts where you're angrier because you'll feel like I didn't get a chance to, like, really stick it to him. You may also feel times when you feel relief. You may feel guilty. Like, you're going to possibly go all over the map and that's fine.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Like, clearly, clearly he was a, at least good enough at pretending to be a good person for a little while to have this whirlwind romance with you. And, like, if you experience some sadness later on, like, that's normal. You can be grieving the relationship that you wanted to have, even if you are not grieving him specifically. Right. And, and I,
1: I just want to say, too, like, sometimes we can sort of do little gut checks to say, like, am I a bad person? And the fact that you feel sorry for his parents and siblings suggests to me that you are probably a good person. Like, yeah. you're aware that he was a, you know, he was like all of us, complicated and multifaceted and was capable of not being an ass all the time. Um, but you're you're also personally relieved that you don't have to hear a bunch of "I told you so"s or go mm-hmm. through a messy divorce, and that doesn't mean that you killed him or that uh, you're a bad person. But yeah, you know, oddly and uncomfortably, his death is convenient for you. Yeah, yeah, that's that's just reality. Yeah,
2: and and that's that's weird and and awkward, but you're feelings about that are kind of yours to have. Yeah. And, and they they may be complicated and they may take a long process, but if, if you are still feeling this same way six months or a year from now, that's that's okay. Yeah. If you are feeling other things along the way, that's okay too.
1: So that said, let's throw another plug for therapy. Oh, yes. definitely. Because, you know, and you don't have to, I, I
0: don't know what your relationship with your family is like. Um, I, it sounds like it, it might not, not great. be great since they refused to come to her wedding and she describes it as like not having to slink home with, Like, her tail between her legs. Right, right. Yeah, and I don't know, like, maybe
1: there were enough red flags during their courtship that her family was, like, we're just really concerned for you. I don't know. But you don't have to tell anyone right now. Right. But as you continue to get treated like a widow, the, like, disconnect you're going to be feeling between saying, like, thank you and accepting everybody's, like, condolences versus inside feeling like but i'm not sad you're gonna feel totally alienated and bonkers and Definitely. you should see a therapist just so there's at least one person in your life who can't tell anyone else yeah and
2: also uh, the letter writer mentions that like she never told her i don't know if we know the pronouns pronounce them they never told anybody during the marriage like friends family like own family or the husband's family like how things were that everybody seems to have thought that this was a happy marriage so there's still all of that that you yes. have not been able to talk about with anybody I, and that would be really helpful
0: to, to i think i would not tell for... the husband's family at this point Oh, that ever. seems awful no, don't no, ever tell they them are your former in-laws they don't they let them think that their son died and was happy there that's just not information that they could do anything with exactly there's there's nothing to do about it right so just kind of let that sit and i personally wouldn't tell your family either because it sounds like they would kind of hold that over your head and maybe be jerks about it yeah but that's up
1: to you you know your family i would say give yourself time yeah definitely talk about it with a therapist a grief counselor and i would encourage you at some point to share with like a friend that you trust who's maybe not connected to your family something like you know before he died We were going through a really difficult time, and I feel really complicated about that because I can't really share that with people, um, and I just want you to know that. Yeah. So, like, you don't necessarily have to give the, like, nitty-gritty details to everybody, but you can absolutely, in time, share with one or two close friends and maybe at some point with your family, if you ever feel like you want to, an edited version that's not necessarily, like, a laundry list of everything he did to you, but you You can, if you want to, say, like, we were going through a really difficult time um, or we were having money problems or he was cheating on me. And you you can say those things. Yeah. You don't have to say, like, and I'm glad he's dead and I feel like a monster. Right. Figure out the version that you'd feel comfortable sharing. Would it be helpful to you to tell other people you're not admitting to something wrong? I don't think anyone would hear that and say, wow, you monster – you're a bad person if you said like before my husband died he was cheating on me and it's really hard for me to talk about.
0: Right, you yeah. don't have to protect his legacy in that way by like not being open about stuff that he did to you if you want to be open about that stuff. Yeah. Um.
2: You, when we were reading this yesterday, actually, you noticed this that um the letter owner mentions that when they got married, um they actually moved across the country. Yeah. So there might not even be too many close friends around for you right now. Um, So if there are or if they're somewhere, somewhere, you know, across the country, wherever home is, like, this would be a a good chance to reconnect with them, maybe. yeah,
1: Yeah. Yep, yep. And, uh, you know, again, you talk about, like, you feel like you're floating. Nobody knows the truth. Like, this all sounds like kind of the hallmarks of the disorientation and sense of surreality that can come from the grieving process, which is not necessarily the grief that comes from I'm so sad he's dead. It's the grief that comes from the person I married was not the kind of guy I thought he was. And then he died. Yeah. And nobody knows the truth. Like, those are some big soap opera level intense plot twists. Right. Like it's, like, it's, it's, it's reasonable to, to have
0: grief about this.
1: Yeah. And you you need to talk to somebody about this. Like it's not good to go through life thinking nobody knows the reality of my interior life. Like <laughs> that's painful and, and yeah. it makes you feel totally isolated and you shouldn't have to feel that way. Yeah. Especially not when you're going through all of this right, right now. Right. I, I feel like because they weren't saying the letter writer was not saying right like do I ever have to tell anyone that wasn't what they were asking. But I feel like that right. was sort of implied with that sense of you know, I wanted him gone, and now he is, and now everything's kind of working out. With the implication, sort of like, if I just never talk about this again, will everything be fine? And I think that that might make you feel like good at first, but would eventually make you feel really like just like a balloon floating up into the sky. Definitely, yeah,
2: I, I agree. Yeah, um, I, I feel like if if there is a point with people who you're comfortable with, where you can be to at least some extent open about what that marriage really was like for you, I think that would definitely help make you feel a bit more connected to those people and and a bit more grounded um, rather than knowing that everyone kind of around you and in your life is is walking around with this very strong conception of what that part of your life was like that is is very different from your
1: reality yeah all right, so in keeping with the theme of sharing what's going on with us, the next letter is about how to get friends to open up uh, how to reciprocate emotional disclosures, and I would love for one of you to read that. All
2: right. Go Um, The subject is Emotionally Reticent Best Friend. Dear Prudence, I have a friend who is not good at expressing vulnerability. We've been best friends for three years, and only once has she opened up to me about traumatic life experiences, and only then because we forced ourselves to talk about emotions by playing feelings roulette. I have other questions there. Um, She never asks for emotional support, even for very small issues, though she's great about giving me support when I need it. Her reticence makes me feel uncomfortable, awkward, and needy when I express vulnerability to her. It also makes me unsure about the state of our relationship, like we're not as good of friends as I want us to be, though I know that she considers me her best friend and loves me deeply. Obviously, I don't want to pressure her into sharing more than she's comfortable with, but the current state of affairs makes me really unhappy. I want to be even closer with her. I want to help her, to demonstrate my love for her by giving her emotional support and care when she needs it. I want her to be vulnerable with me. What can I do?
0: What is feelings, Roulette? That was my first question. I have... I have no idea. My only reaction to this letter was that it was a letter about me.
1: <laughs> I just I, – I really, really hope that it is nothing like Russian roulette because if a gun was involved to force anyone to share – dis- I don't think that's what it was. I'm sure it was a version of like – Spinning something. I'm, or I'm imagining a coin like an emotion wheel it. that has just like different difficult emotions written on it, and then you spin it. And pick I just, it just want to throw it out there that like I have never heard of that game. Same. If it's helpful to you to play that game, that's great. I'm just a little nervous about
0: the specifics of how it is played. I feel like it would be maybe a really, like a really good tool in a learning how to do improv class. Maybe. Yeah. Okay. So you thought this letter was about you. Kind of, yeah. I am definitely the emotionally reticent friend in pretty much all of my friendships. Mm -hmm. Um, So, like, I had two really big thoughts about this, which is one, um, the letter writer might benefit from, uh, like, going and looking a little bit at – I I heard about it on Captain Awkward first, but I feel like it's probably in a lot of places like the ask versus guess culture kind of thing. So your friend might not be sharing – because she wants you to ask her questions about herself. Um, She doesn't feel comfortable providing that information unless you are expressly requesting it. Um, But also, maybe you are doing the amount of, like, emotional support, and she's giving you as much vulnerability as she's going to give you. Like, some people just don't have that much to give, and we are not that deep.
1: Yeah, I... I, I'm i kind of of two minds about this letter as well because on the one hand, I think it's always really good uh, if you're kind of just aware of, oh, there seems to be a little bit of a one-way street in this friendship. I want to make sure my friend knows that I'm here for them if they need, like, emotional support or any sort of reciprocation. But, um uh, you know, the letter writer says, only once has she opened up to me about traumatic life experiences,
0: which – I don't think you should be pressing anyone to talk no. about. No, people get to share their trauma with you or not as they decide to do. And, like, it's not a measure of how close of friends you are, how much you know about, like, their traumatic backstory. You you can be really close friends and know almost none of that. Yeah. And it's also entirely possible that she
1: does not have a lot of traumatic life experiences. True. And, like, true. pressing her to kind of manufacture or play up them in order for you to feel reciprocation, that's not okay. Yeah, I I hear some people manage to make it to adulthood with almost none. Yeah, it happens. And, uh, you know, certainly I don't think you should – and again, I I don't want to read too much into this letter. I'm not saying like, oh, you definitely have a friendship that's based on trading trauma as currency. But, you know, I think that is something that you can and should let
0: go of. Right. It sounds like maybe that's how the letter writer has felt Really emotionally intimate with other friends in the past, and so wants to kind of project that onto this friendship. And that just might not be who you are, and you can still be best friends without that. Right. So, you know, you say you want to be even closer with her,
1: you want to demonstrate your love for her and you want to help her. And I feel like those first two things are not actually connected with the third. Agreed, agreed. Like, the first two things are about you. And Mm -hmm. again, that doesn't make you a monster. Like, I really want to make it clear, you do not sound like a horrible friend who's just like pressing somebody too hard. You are not Lucy Snow, which is always like (laughs) the worst thing a friend could possibly be. Um, But who's, by the way, not a real person. This is a fictional character um, from Sense and Sensibility. I'm not just like... Yeah. Complaining about of <laughs> Um But yeah, so those first two things are I want to be closer and I want to demonstrate my love for her, which is like it's okay to feel those things, but maybe not okay to let them dictate your actions. Yeah. Because basically what you're saying is the way she communicates
0: doesn't meet my emotional needs and I want to push harder for that. Right. Like she – showing your love for her might be – doing the things that you are already doing in this friendship. Right. And I think you
1: need to trust that she shares with you as much as she wants to. And you can absolutely say, like, that doesn't mean this is off limits as a topic. You can absolutely say, you know, I know there's an imbalance in terms of how much we share with each other. I hope that I'm not, like, being too needy and and overwhelming you. I hope that you would let me know if I ever do because I don't want to overwhelm you. Um, And I just want you to know I'm always here if you need to ask for emotional support or talk about things, but if that's just not how you're wired, if that's not what you need, I don't want to push for that either. Yeah, That's a conversation you can have. But Definitely. the whole, like, how do I get her to share more trauma with me? How do I get her to ask for emotional support more? If she's not wired that way, if that's not something that interests her, if that's not something she wants to do, you have to take her word for that.
2: Yeah, if, if what you really want at the end of the day is to make sure that you're being as there for her and as supportive for her as she is being for you, sharing traumas with you and confiding in you you know the details of her feelings of her day-to-day life are not necessarily things that are required for that that just may not be support that she needs from you and
1: that's yep. okay yep no and if you can get that in other relationships that's great if you get that from a therapist that's fabulous um but i do think some of this stuff you can talk about with her and some of this you do need to work on letting go on a regular basis yeah. and um Yeah, yeah. You can always say, like, I love it when you're vulnerable with me. I I appreciate it. But you, you know, like, I have a really great friend who is like that, too. Like, she'll tell me a year later, like, oh, I had this really intense health scare. And, like, in my head, I'm like, oh, man, like, I wish I'd known. I wish there was more that I could have done. And I have to realize, like, she doesn't want that. That makes her feel stressed out and overwhelmed. And she wants to tell me this now. And, like, that's cool. Yeah. We're different like that. Yeah. I always love telling people, like, I stubbed my toe. Like, <laughs> I am all about emotional disclosures and, like, I need Gatorade. Someone bring it to me. And sometimes they do. And so I think that Audrey just was, like, pressing a level button. I
0: just yelled really <laughs> loudly about Gatorade.
1: So that wasn't the bring in a Gatorade button. No, no. no. I, I've already been brought bottled water. That's pretty good. All right. All right. So.
0: All right. Looks like you're ready to read this I'm next Super one. ready. Oh, man. Um, so okay. much friendship today. <laughs> yeah. Um, subject, is there etiquette for friending friends of friends? Dear Prudence, I recently got married. Congratulations. Um, it was the first time all of my different groups of friends spent time together in one room. A few weeks after our wedding, I learned that two of my friends got dinner together after they met at my wedding. One of them openly mentioned it to me. I also learned that another pair of friends planned to meet up. In both situations, I wasn't explicitly invited, just told they were hanging out. I feel incredibly jealous, and I can't seem to figure out if it's my own insecurity or if I'm hurt because I always thought there was an unspoken rule about how to conduct yourself in these situations. Personally, I would always go through the mutual friend. I know it's normal for adults to meet new friends through their social networks, but I feel like I'm being disrespected in a way. How can I work through this? Is this worth talking to my friends about without sounding like I'm trying to control their lives?
1: All right. So, question for the group. Uh, is this letter writer being disrespected? And is there an unspoken rule about how to make friends you've, meet, you've met through friends? Uh, no? N- no. And And no, and I'm
2: just... When I read this one for the first time, I just kind of was trying to imagine what life would look like if every new person that I meet, all of my further interactions with them had to be mediated through the person that introduced us. That would.
1: Yeah. I got to tell you, letter writer, I read this one and it felt pretty clear. There's not an unspoken rule, and you are not being reasonable.
2: No, your nope. your friends are not doing anything wrong. They, it, it's great that these different groups of people that you met at different points and places in your life met and were like, "Hey, uh, you're pretty cool. Um, you clearly have good taste in friends. Um,
1: right, right. That's
0: presumably why you invited them all." to your wedding exactly. so they can meet you brought these people to your wedding because they were so cool that you like having them around all the time so it should not be like a super surprise to you that some of them thought the other people were so cool that they want to hang out no
1: and this is a net good for you like yeah.
0: if, if, like the fact that your friends openly mentioned it to you you kind
1: of say that like can you believe that they admitted it to me as opposed <laughs> to like of course they said that to you it's completely natural like if your friend's like oh by the way I had a really good time with your other friend and now we're grabbing dinner like that's a net good for you you right. can be like oh that's awesome I hope you guys have a great time. And, like, sometime maybe you can all go get dinner together. That doesn't mean you have to, like, mediate their new friendship. But, like, now some of your
0: friends know each other and like each other. Great. Like, I feel like you are making this be a slight where if they happen to meet at, like, some kind of local tabletop night or something, that if you found out that these two people from what you consider separate friend groups— had met and become friends, you wouldn't feel like they had done that behind your back. It's just because you were the vector for their introduction. What on earth is a tabletop night? Like, at games at Berkeley, and you go and you can play, like, D&D with strangers. Oh, 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 okay. I was like, that sounds so cool.
1: It sounds like everyone takes their tables outside into the street, and it's like, come by.
0: No. (laughs) That's cool, too. (laughs) Um,
1: Yeah, (laughs) this has, like, a very territorial idea of friendship, right? Like, I am the kind of mediator of all these friendships, and I am a kind gatekeeper, but you must pass through me first in yes. order to access one of the other friends. And that's just – That's not, not how really people how this works. works. No. Um, you. It, sometimes we feel jealous even when we know that we don't necessarily have a right to. You can't just like will that feeling away. But I do think uh, you do not have a cause to speak to any of your friends. Like that would be really, um, I think, petty – and also, like, trying to steal someone's joy if you said, it upsets me that you got dinner with Janice. like yeah, it'd that's, be weird. That's not, that's not okay. Frankly, even in junior high, right? I think that that is, yeah. like, not to be too hard on you, letter writer. But the last time that I remember having conversations with friends where someone said, I'm really upset that you got, like, lunch with Janice without talking to me first was in the seventh grade. Um, and it wasn't healthy then, frankly. <laughs> yeah. Like, you need to let that go. This is nothing but good. This doesn't mean anything about your friendship with these people. They're not trying to take anything away from you. Um, everyone's not, like, becoming closer friends with each other than they are with you and talking about you behind your back. They're just making friends like adults do.
2: Yeah, and if this has reminded you that you would like to be seeing more of these individual friends, you can do that, but they are also allowed to see each other outside of being
1: with you. More than allowed. <laughs> more Like, way more than allowed. We need a new word. Yeah, you're not being disrespected. No one is doing this to you. This actually kind of doesn't have anything to do with you which i think is maybe why it hurts because it reminds you that your wedding is over and you're not the center of attention i I may be making it a little too deep here but like (laughs) it's just not about you yeah and that's okay yeah um all right last one is about dogs because every once in a while i just like to wade into opinions about dogs on the internet you aren't getting enough trolls very fulfilling um not Trolls, just like everyone, has really strong feelings about okay. dogs, especially, and um, about how other people's pets should be cared for. Everyone's got strong dog opinions and neighbor's pet opinions, so every once in a while I just have to lay down the law. Okay. Subject of this is neighbor's dog won't shut up. Dear Prudence, my neighbors have a dog that barks incessantly. They leave his dog outside when they go away. One year, they went on a week-long vacation, and the dog barked from morning until midnight every day until the person they had watching it came to bring it inside. After two days of that, I had to go spend the rest of the week at my sister's place. I spoke with my neighbors about it. They apologized, and for about two weeks it got better. And then it was back to square one. This pattern of complaint and brief remedy has been going on for years. You're probably wondering whether I've reported it. Here's the rub. The husband is a prominent attorney for the city, so I'm fairly certain nothing will be done if I were to complain about it formally. I've finally paid off my home and have no desire to move, but also no desire to lose my mind from the constant barking. I've tried those sonic anti-bark remotes on the dog to no effect. Any thoughts?
0: Some. Some thoughts. <laughs> Hit me with them, baby. Uh, okay, first thought, not doing anything is definitely not getting anything done. So, like, reporting the dog to whatever kind of, like, presumably noise ordinance I would. Thing? I would assume the ASPCA. Or something like that, yeah. Like... Not doing that is not working. So possibly try doing that.
2: Yeah, I, I don't feel like the fact that one of the owners is a lawyer is is really a f- factor here. Like, yeah, I, I can vaguely imagine that. I don't know. Some it sounds like a kind of a very dramatic TV scenario in which, like, his his. Don't you
1: know who I am? Exactly, yeah. where
2: where that would prevent you know. Uh, anything from being done, but, but it can't hurt. It's not like he's going to sue you for, like, libel because you told someone that his dog was being loud. So yeah, I think first step, like, sure, go ahead and report it. Like, there's nothing bad that can come of that.
1: Yeah, I, I would say, number one, I would talk to the neighbors again, yeah. right? And I would say, like, you guys may not know this um, because it sounds like you've only mentioned it once, although you do say there's a, ba- a pattern of complaint. And yeah, it sounds like it's, so, been, it's been happening maybe. multiple times. Okay, maybe you have talked about it. So, yeah, if they are aware that this happens every day yeah, and they just don't care,
0: um like that's not good for the dog i do want to know though what the neighbors are doing when you talk to them and it stops for a while and then it starts back up like
1: i mean part of it is just like presumably if they're not home they're not home so they don't really think about it true
0: but like if the dog is quiet for a little while after you talk to the neighbor like i want to know right what was working what was working and why did they stop doing it
1: yeah, so I don't know. You would know that we don't. Yeah. Um but yeah, it's not good for a dog to be barking for 12 hours on end. Like that's right. not a happy, well taken care of dog. Right. That dog's got anxiety. Or or is like being, you know, insufficiently like played with, interacting yeah. with? Yeah, something's not right. I think this is why doggy daycare was invented.
2: This definitely seems like a dog that that needs more people around during the day than right. it's than it has access to. Right.
1: So if there's any way that you know what works for a while, certainly, you know, bring it up with your neighbors again. But heck yes, like, you know, call your city's non-emergency line, call animal services. They're not connected with the city's legal department, right? Like, I yeah. think sometimes people think like, oh, it's all connected to the city. So any city employee is necessarily going to be able to like pull some strings. And I think that's not the case. Like, yeah.
2: I feel like those things are more... He's
1: not a lawyer for dogs,
2: you know? Like (laughs) that would be so great.
1: That would be incredible. Yeah. I would say make the report. Because usually what happens when you call animal services is not they immediately come grab the dog and, like, throw it in a... What's the word of the place where they keep dogs? Channel? Shelters. Shelter? Yeah. yeah. Like, they will come out. They'll pay a visit. They'll check the dog's living area. They're going to ask questions. And, yeah. like, they'll make a recommendation. So, you know, it's not like making that call. You are going to be either, like, having the dog taken away permanently or have it put down or something. Like, it's a, it's a step. They have processes that they go through. But, yeah, call, make the report and say, like, this dog is barking, like, 12 hours a day. It's left alone all the time. Like, apparently, they leave the dog outside every day, which, like... You know, there are certain laws in different cities, like it may be that he doesn't have enough water. It may be that he doesn't have enough room to run. Like, right. Like
0: depending on the yard and the climate where you live, like that may or may not be fine. Yeah. So, yeah, call, uh, do something. Um, but also just you're going to have to
1: move. Oh, sure. You think <laughs> that that what if what if the new house has a dog that barks? Oh, I know. God, that'd be awful.
0: I don't know. It feels like this might end up being one of those unsolvable kind of situations to me in the end. I mean the dog do, will eventually die. Uh yeah, are you willing to wait the <laughs> next like 15 to 20 years? They
1: said this has been going on for years. So okay. maybe well, the so dog, maybe already... it's only like 10. Yeah. But like um, still... I don't I don't encourage you to kill the dog
0: by no, the way. No, no, oh, don't anyways, you thinking that letter no. Don't kill the dog. You do not have our permission to kill the no, dog. No, definitely not. Um I feel like in your situation I would probably like in my heart to myself swearing at the dog because I was so frustrated. I'd be like, oh, I wish I could kill the dog, but I wouldn't kill the dog. That'd yeah. be awful. It's not the dog's fault. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's not the dog's fault. I think that that's also the important thing to remember. It's not the dog's fault. Yeah.
1: But, yeah, call, the, call animal services and also check your city's noise ordinance laws because yes. I'm sure Yeah, homeowners and small towns being what they are there are laws about how long your dog is allowed to bark before the city gets to say you have to do something.
2: Yeah, but, yeah. but I, I do definitely feel like there is a possible outcome here where you contact, you know, the appropriate department in the city and you talk to the neighbors again. And the, you know, animal services or whoever comes assesses that, you know, this dog is, is in good health. It just, it just barks a lot or is kind of anxious and makes recommendations that, that your neighbors don't do
1: anything about that. Yeah. Yeah.
2: So, yeah. Um,
1: And then you get to decide, like, do I want to kind of get on my neighbor's case about it? Is that something that I'm willing to do? Or does that feel not worth it? Would I rather just spend less time at home? Would I consider moving, um, bearing in mind that I may very well move someplace that gets a dog, like, next door the next day? Yeah, Um, That would just be the worst. (laughs) And that's just part of, like, living in a society is, like, sometimes there's noises and it sucks. Yeah. Yeah. Um, But, yeah, like. Are you willing to escalate it all with your neighbors? It sounds like you've brought it up occasionally, but, like, if you make the call, if somebody comes out, if they're, like, you're violating this in this noise ordinance, and they're, like, eh, we don't care. Like, you can figure out if you want to, like, again, kindly, not, like, cussing them out, but you can say, like, here is how long your dog barks every day. It drives me crazy. I'm worried about its safety. You know, here is something that worked in the past. For the love of God, do something. Yeah. And then in your head, add you jerks, because. Yeah. I don't know. If someone tells me my dog's barking, like, all I day. I would feel awful. I feel yeah. bad. I mean, I know dogs bark
0: sometimes, but if someone was, like... Right. Like, I, I think it's unreasonable to live near other people as, who may or may not have dogs and expect their pets to never make noises. Mm-hmm. But, like, a continuous also, 12 hours a day. I
1: just have a question about, like, the dog was barking when they went on vacation for a week from morning until midnight while a person was watching it. Well, so what that sounded like to me... Was that they had someone
2: coming by to like let the dog out in the morning, yeah, and then come in, come at night and like put the dog back in because it showed that the dog would bark until the person watching it came to like let it until inside.
1: midnight, which again is like I, I this thought, is a lousy dog sitter.
2: Yeah, either that or maybe. A little bit of, like, uh, it felt like morning until midnight more than, like, literally was. But we, <laughs> they
1: they did say literally. And as we all know, no one ever uses literally when they mean figuratively. <laughs> I don't know. True, like, I true. believe that this letter writer has been. Oh, I believe that yeah, they threw them out a lot. lot. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. 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 But, yeah, oh. these people kind of sound like indifferent dog owners. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and I always wish people knew, like, owning a dog is super optional. You don't have to do it. That's true. It's a lot of work for, frankly,
0: not that much reward. That's true. Like, if you. If you don't want to, like, love and cherish that dog, maybe you should not be in possession of that dog. Yeah. So –
1: but we can't – retroactively, we can't go back in time and make these people not get a dog. Um, Yeah. But I I think do some other things. um, And only if none of them pan out at all do you start thinking about, is it worth it to me to move? Is it worth it to me to soundproof my house? Is it worth it to me to – I don't know. Yeah. I feel
2: like like there are hopefully some intermediate steps in there in between – you know, immediate action is not working and moving, but it's 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 worth considering. Like if the neighbors don't do anything, kind of how long can you endure this before you maybe yeah. need to start thinking about? Yeah, yeah. And, and how? Else. Know,
1: and I always want to like throw in a plug for like a full War of the Roses situation where it's like, you know, maybe you want to get a t-shirt cannon. And start firing it off in your backyard. Oh,
2: I was going to say, get another larger and louder dog. Oh my god!
1: <laughs> <laughs> just like a, like they're playing Risk, but with buying dogs. Yeah. So like yeah. eventually, each yard is just full of dogs. Yeah. That's probably not a great no, don't, idea. No,
2: please don't do that. Yeah. Um, for both these current neighbors' sake and the sake of everyone else living in your yeah, your, your other yard, neighbors. please don't do that. Yeah. Don't be don't become uh, that which you hate. Yeah. But,
1: well, yeah. my friends, thank you so much, <laughs> uh, for helping us tell the people how to live. No problem. Thanks for listening to Dear Prudence. Our producer is Audrey Dilling. Our theme music was composed by Robin Hilton. If you want me to answer your question, call me and leave a message at 401-371-DEAR, that's 3327, and you might hear your answer on an episode of the show. You don't have to use your real name or location, and at your request, we can even
0: alter the sound of your voice. Keep it short, 30 seconds, minute, tops.
1: Can you ever, by the way, when I say alter the sound of your voice, can you alter it so that it sounds like a robot? That would make me very happy. If you're looking for more great shows from Slate, check out the Slate Political Gabfest. Fest. It's hosted by Emily Bazelon of The New York Times Magazine, John Dickerson, host of CBS's Face the Nation, and David Plotz of Atlas Obscura. And it's the kind of informal and irreverent discussion Washington journalists have after hours over drinks. Stephen Colbert himself called it a must-listen. That's the Sleep Political Gabfest. Find it at sleep.com slash gabfest or wherever you get your podcasts. Damn it, Audrey! I am a professional!